Well, good job out there today, guys. It's like a congregational choir going on this morning. That was awesome. Uh, a lot of you guys know that I coach uh, cross country over at Central's. We had a time trial yesterday, and, and uh, as I was running around the, the track, I call it like strongly encouraging. Some people might say yelling, um, <laughs> but it's just because I'm so invested, right? Um, just really wanting the kids to, to you know, see the, the fruit of their labors all summer. Um, but I walked over to some parents afterwards. And I was like, I've got to keep my voice for church tomorrow. Um, I forget what it's like sometimes to, to coach on a Saturday and then come here and speak on a Sunday. So uh, we'll do the best we can. Um, as most of you guys know, I've been on sabbatical for about eight weeks this summer. So having um, an extended time away from just the, uh, the mental side of just kind of the daily demands of leading the church um, needless to say, I had some, some time on my hands to just kind of notice the world around me a little bit more, be a little bit more present to what was going on. Um, and I was praying and pondering um, really what we were going to be talking about this fall. And one thing just kind of kept pressing through that just becomes clearer and clearer is this truth that we are living in an increasingly angry world. At least social media gives us an outlet where it would seem that way. So let me explain. I'm old enough to remember a time when people just used to be angry from the comfort of their own home. And the only people that knew about your anger were just the chosen few people that were, you know, maybe that lived with you or maybe a, a friend here or there that might know that you were upset about something. Um, so, you know, the times have changed. Let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten on Facebook just to browse around, right? You're going to send somebody some birthday wishes or maybe look at your friend's family vacation pictures. And then out of nowhere, you stumble across a friend who's ranting about whatever. And you weren't angry before you went on Facebook, but all of a sudden, you're like reading through this, and then you're seeing what that person said about this and what this person says about that. And all of a sudden, like there's something going on in you, and it's like you didn't realize these emotions were so close to the surface because you're just fired up by the end of that time, right? Anybody? Anybody been there with me? Yes. The beauty of social media, staying connected to the world, right? <laughs> Such an awesome thing. I came across an article in my studies this past week from the Washington Post in June of 2020, so a little bit over two years ago. The title of the article was, Americans are living in a big anger incubator. And according to the author, who's a psychiatrist, he said the country at that time, so two years ago, is now dealing with three disasters superimposed on top of one another. And two years ago, those things were obviously the pandemic the economic fallout of that, and then the prevailing civil unrest in our country. And I wish I could say things have changed a whole lot, but if anything, they've really probably intensified in, in some ways over the last couple of years as more kind of events have sparked emotion, a lot of times kind of along political lines, whether it's the Roe versus Wade or continued COVID issues, differences in perspectives on how we handle the economy in our country. Um, people are angry with various issues, but we're also angry with just various groups of people that we kind of lump into categories, those liberals or those conservatives or the, those white supremacists or Antifa or Proud Boys or BLM or fill in the blank. We could probably go on for a while, right? So 
This summer, I've been, had a little bit of extra time also to work on my story um, and just kind of understanding a little bit of my life and the events that have happened that kind of affect the way that I live now. Um, a lot of people in our church have been going through um, this, this workbook called Mapping Your Enneagram Story that just kind of helps you identify some of your what they call positive or negative life turns. I, I like to refer to them as kind of watershed moments where, um, you know, something happened that kind of turned your life in, in a direction, right? And one of the things that this book does too is it also has you identify what emotions you were feeling when those events were happening. So that's kind of an, an additional step than those of you that have just done storyline over the years that I think has been real helpful and effective. And they I have you identify, they had six primary emotions to choose from. Um, and then they, they had three that would be kind of in, seen in the positive category and three kind of in the negative. So the three negative domains were, were anger, sadness, or fear. And now those of you, most people that know me very well, um, I, I would think probably wouldn't describe me as an angry person. I'm really not a yeller um, or an arguer with people. Honestly, most of the time people describe me, it's more like um, steady, stoic, calm, uh, for the most part, that's, that's how I'm kind of labeled. So as I was working through this, uh, especially kind of in my childhood years, I was kind of surprised that um, the emotion that I was writing down, identifying with these things the most was anger. And it actually kind of had you drill in a little bit deeper. Um, anger was kind of a primary emotion. And then it would, under that, there was kind of subcategories like the secondary or even the tertiary, um, you know, kind of helps you identify, well, what about anger specifically? So the word that kind of jumped out to me as I looked through that um, time and time again, it was exasperated. As a kid um, growing up, I was kind of just exasperated with my life circumstances and what was going on around me. <laughs> there was just a lot of chaos and turmoil at times. Um, and it was all kind of stewing under the surface of my life. And it probably came out the most um, on the playground or in competitive environments. That's probably where they saw angry Bobby Miller back in the day, right? But I, I don't even think back then they probably would describe me as much of an angry person. So anyways, just out of curiosity, as we get this series called Slow to Anger um, started here, I just want to ask every one of us here, what sets you off? What sets you off? Okay, limited. All right, I know you might have 10 things might have just jumped in your mind, all right? But what situations or words or events like most trigger an angry reaction in you? Let's just be honest this morning, okay? Let's see a show of hands. Give me something. What sets you off? Yes. Ignorance, okay? Yes. Entitlement, okay? Disrespect, okay? Laziness, good. What's that? Bad drivers? Okay. Yeah. Criticism from being, being critiqued? Like somebody criticizing you? Okay. Yeah. People that what? Oh, not listening to like, like me, right? Yeah. <laughs> Feeling out of control. Like yourself? Oh, that you can't control the situation. Okay, gotcha. All right. What, anybody else? Now's your time, man. Yeah, Nikki? Just being... Oh, dishonesty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon? 
unfairness, okay, or injustice. Yeah, those are good. Yes. Ooh, people who give advice but don't follow it themselves. Wow. Okay. Y'all got issues. <laughs> the thing that, that so, so here's mine. The thing that, that sets me off more than anything, um, besides when we've got a lead in the AFC championship and we don't run the football, <laughs> besides that, okay, it, it's bad leadership. Especially when I can see um, people that are suffering from the poor leadership of someone. That, like, drives me insane. Because um, I just feel so badly for the people that are being hurt by a poor, a poor leader. Um, so, for all of us, like, awareness is the first step, right? This is a safe place. <laughs> but we all have our triggers. And as I pondered this rise in anger, I started wondering... As Christ followers, we have to be careful with how we handle it, don't we? Because anger is tricky. And most of us are, are fairly aware of this verse in Ephesians 4.26. You might not know exactly where it is, but you probably heard the words before. In your anger, do not sin. Now, <laughs> good luck with that, right? Because when I get angry... Um, on occasion, uh, it quickly goes to sin. Like the, the, the path between the anger and the sin is a short route um, to pride, arrogance, bitterness, malice, envy, greed. So, must, so many of us kind of get off on the wrong foot from the get-go, right? And we, we, we dive right into sin pretty quickly. But maybe the bigger question I wrestled with was this. I put it up here. Are we angry about the right things? I mean, we're all angry about something or something evokes anger in us, but are we angry about the right things? Which led me to this thought. What did Jesus get angry about? What did Jesus get angry about? Have you ever thought about that question or read the gospels through that lens before? The answer on a big level is really kind of surprisingly simple. Jesus got angry about the same things that his father did in the Old Testament. He just did it in the flesh. <laughs> it just kind of looked a little bit different because he was here with us. And as I looked throughout the Gospels, there were several topics that quickly emerged as kind of the primary causes of Jesus' angry reactions. And so over the, the course of the next seven weeks, we're going to be taking a look and exploring some of these topics, things like excessive burdens being placed on people, children being pushed aside, self-righteous judgmentalism, hindering people from getting to God, a spirit of unforgiveness. And today we're going to begin with a look at Jesus' anger concerning the human condition. So my premise for this series is that if something bothered Jesus, it should probably bother us. Okay? Likewise, if something didn't bother him, we should probably take note of that as well. So before we dive into Jesus' displays of anger, I think we need to rewind the tape a little bit here to the Old Testament. And if we could, uh, we're going to take a look at just some ways that Jesus, I mean, sorry, that God the Father kind of describes himself, his nature, his character, okay? So I want to start in this pivotal, pivotal scene in Exodus. 
God is meeting with Moses on Mount Sinai again. Uh, this is the second time that he gives them the, the tablets with the Ten Commandments because Moses got mad because of the golden calf thing, broke the first one. So he had to go back up there. So he's getting the second round of tablets. And God actually meets with Moses and reveals himself in a way that he really hasn't done with another human before. And this is from Exodus 34, 6. It says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And as you journey throughout the Old Testament, you see that the future writers picked up on this theme as well. And time and time again, they, they kind of said this, the same sentiment was spoken over again. I'm going to show a series of verses here. You guys can just read for yourselves. So we got about two or three screens of these verses. Just take a second just to read those real quickly and scroll through those back there. Go ahead and go to the next one if you could. There you go. Go to the final one. Slow to anger. <laughs> again and again. And in the New Testament, we see this theme picked up by the the writers who were writing to the early Christian church. Um, James, who was Jesus's brother, wrote this in James 1.19, a verse you've probably heard before. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what? Slow to become angry, right? Now, don't you find it comforting that he doesn't say, don't be angry. <laughs> yeah, right? Because even God was angry. And we're supposed to be like him. So I think it's an expectation that we're going to be angry. <laughs> so it's okay to be angry as long as it's about the right things. And as long as we're slow to it. Slow to it. And we'll get to the how-tos of how to do that later on, okay? But for now, I want to focus on, and not even today, I mean like later on in the series, all right? So you're just going to have to put some duct tape on it until then, all right? I'm not responsible for your actions, all right? We're starting at the big level here first. I want to focus on the things that made Jesus angry and try to make sure that we are getting angry about the same things. Okay, because I think that's going to help us decide what is worth being angry about to begin with. <laughs> okay, we should get to the point now, it's like, is that something I really should be angry about? Hmm. Okay, so we want to start there. So I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. It's page 1425 in the Pew Bibles.
it's verse 40. Mark 1.40 says this, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So early on in Jesus' ministry, he has this encounter with this guy with leprosy. And we have to understand that this disease um, wasn't just a, a kind of a gruesome physical uh, disease, but it also carried with it a social stigma that forced all of those folks that had um, leprosy. And that was kind of a general term used to describe a lot of different skin ailments. ailments. Um, but they had to live separated outside the community. So... Um, they weren't allowed to associate with other people that were called clean people because they were unclean. So they couldn't be any, in any kind of social setting, civic, um, you know, religious. They couldn't go to synagogue or, you know, kind of like church as we described it. So in verse 41, so there's a lot going on here, okay? So that's what I'm trying to kind of paint a picture here. There's a lot of implications of this guy having leprosy. And in verse 41, we see this phrase. It says, Jesus was indignant. Now, indignant is, is, is a term, if you just look it up in Webster, you know, it's kind of a term that means kind of frustrated with this, the injustice, okay? But the Greek that this was written in, uh, a lot of other languages have, are a little bit richer, more depth to things. That Greek word carries with it this, this translation, this idea of, of to shudder and quiver. To shudder and quiver. Have you ever been so angry that you've had a visceral bodily reaction? Like literally where you're shaking because you're so angry? Anyone? <laughs> Besides me, again? Yeah, right? Whew. That's what's going on here. Jesus is literally shaking at this injustice. What do you think's going on in Jesus's heart here? If you just had to kind of get inside his head, why do you think he was so indignant in this moment? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it could have been just a little bit of the, uh, the interaction he was having with the guy and where his faith was at the time, or yeah. What else? Yeah, Rob? Yeah, great. Man, it's society for the way that they kind of push this guy to the outskirts, right? Marginalize them. That's good. Anything else? Yeah, just the brokenness of the world, right? Yeah, I think Jesus sees this man who's suffering, who's been isolated and rejected. And I think we just get a glimpse into this reality that the gravity 
of the human condition is just kind of wrecking Jesus. It's wrecking him. Because I think he's thinking, you know what, this was not the world that I co-created back in Genesis 1. This was not what I had in mind for humanity. Sin and its consequences have been unleashing its broken power on the human condition, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally, for thousands of years, and Jesus is just sick of it. It's what he came to reconcile on many levels. I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 11 now, another, another story. You guys are pretty familiar with this story as well. We're going to read quite a bit of it. John 11, it's page 1529, starting in verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So you might remember that story. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So we're kind of setting up the story here in John. John sets this story up by helping us understand the depth of relationship and affection that he has for these, this family in particular. They just have a special place in his heart. I think it's interesting, it just popped in my head as I was reading this right now, is that Jesus already tells us from the start how the story's gonna end, right? He says this won't end in death. Like, so I think it's important for us to remember what we're about to read in light of the fact that he already knows where this is going, okay? So I want you to skip down to verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he have separated, uh, I'm sorry, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So the emotional tension is building here in this scene. And you can imagine the pain and the overwhelming sorrow of these two sisters. This was obviously a, a young family here. Jesus hasn't even entered the town yet. Everybody's kind of coming out to him on the outskirts. And in verse 33, we get some insight into Jesus' emotional state as well, right? We see the emotions of the sisters, the crowd. But it says in verse 33, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then that leads to this, you know, the most famous verse in the Bible, like right? the shortest verse in the Bible in verse 35, Jesus wept. Right? Again, he already knows how this is going to end. But he's deeply moved and he weeps. He didn't just cry a couple tears. <laughs> Weeping is, is kind of a heightened level of emotional expression. Jesus is sick of watching people suffer. He's angry at death itself that robs life from his creation in unexpected and tragic ways. And I really believe that in that moment, he's not just weeping for Lazarus and his family. He's weeping for every one of us. Whoever is going to endure death and brokenness the collective pain of the broken and marred human condition. Because I really believe that when we suffer, when anyone suffers around us, Jesus sheds the first tear. It kills him to watch us have to live in this broken world. Let's look at verse 38. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now we could get into all kinds of questions. <laughs> about why he raised some from the dead and didn't raise others, right? The reality is, is that Lazarus died again. <laughs> so there was another time in his life when he didn't save him from death. Deeply moved, Jesus comes to the tomb and delivers his most famous miracle. I think part of the reason why this story's in here, why Jesus did this at least once, is to remind us that he's in the business of resurrecting dead things. 
and he has the power to do it. And his power and desire is fueled by his anger at the consequences of sin of his beloved creation. And so just in a couple of examples of of, uh, encounters that we see today, we see Jesus indignant, literally shaking and quivering with anger, deeply moved to the point of weeping. Which just brings us to the question, are we weeping for what Jesus wept for? Are we weeping for what Jesus wept for? Are we angry about the human condition? Not just disease and death, but depression, addiction, suicide, the effects of neglect, abuse, various forms of injustice. As followers of Christ, do we even have the option of being indifferent to those things? So it's interesting to think about the things that we get upset about (laughs) and then the things we should be getting upset about that we aren't. One thing that I've learned as I studied these scenes from Jesus's life is that his anger always led to action. His anger led to action. If Jesus were here today, He wouldn't be expressing his anger sitting behind a computer screen, typing messages, spouting off his opinion, feeling self-righteous at how he was getting it right, unlike all the other idiots that disagreed with his opinion. No, he looked people in the eye and he spoke the truth in love, as we're going to see in several occasions in the next few weeks. And oftentimes his anger led him to enter into the pain of broken humanity with acts of compassion and tenderness and mercy. Does our anger look like that? Does it lead to those actions? We got a lot to learn, don't we? from Jesus's moments of anger. And so one of the things that I want you to do as we just kind of start on this topic today is I want you, I want to invite you. All right, I can't make you do anything. As much as I'd really like that power. (laughs) I want to invite you though to begin praying and just saying, God, where is my anger Uh, aligning with yours or misaligning as it might be? Where am I missing it? Are we getting upset about the same things that Jesus did? I mean, obviously the children over there are angry with the injustice (laughs) going on in those kids' rooms, right? (laughs) Oh, man. Are we getting upset about the same things that he did? Like I said, I've got much more to say in the weeks ahead about what it means to become slow to anger, okay? So I'm excited to go deeper with you all on that because here's my guess. My guess is that most of us sitting here this morning are a bit overwhelmed and honestly a bit embarrassed about how our anger gets expressed. 
And I would venture to guess that nobody would want the hidden camera from our house to be shown here on a Sunday morning in our worst moments, right? And I would say this, the emotions that you're feeling in those moments that come out as anger, those things are not bad per se, okay? But they need to be channeled for the right purposes and directed at the right people and done so with the right posture. So we're gonna try to learn how to do that better, okay? And we all need help, amen? <laughs> so today we're gonna come to the communion table together. And I just wanna give a reminder, I know there's some new folks that are here, maybe have been in recent weeks, that when we come to the table, everybody's welcome to come as long as you can kind of say with your heart that these two things are true. One is that you are admitting that you need what this represents, right? That Jesus' body was broken, his blood was poured out so that you might be saved and reconciled and redeemed to a God that you could not get right with by your own good behavior. You have, all of us have a sin condition that had to be dealt with by a pure and spotless man on a cross, okay? So part of what you're doing is agreeing that I believe that that's true, that I need that. Secondly, what you're also seeing is that I want my life to be broken and poured out like Jesus so that others might come to know him as well, right? So that's the desire of your heart as well. And hopefully that's a growing desire in you because we're called to be like him, right? To be his ambassadors, to reflect him in this world. So if you can say those two things, we'd love for you to come, or at least if that's the desire of my heart, God, I, I want to be moving in that direction, and we'd love for you to come. We want to give you some time and silence. The scripture also tells us that we ought to reflect on our life and, and, and kind of take an account of where we are, maybe some things that need to be confessed. Maybe some of us have some anger moments. We need to say, mm, I got to be better there, Lord. I want to be better. Teach me how to be better. So let's spend some time just doing business with them first, and then uh, you'll be dismissed by the ushers. You can come forward. We'll have servers up here. They'll tear off the bread, dip it in the cup, and then you can take it and head back to your seat, and then we'll finish up in worship. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you that we get a glimpse into your heart, and we can see the things that made you angry starting today with just the, the brokenness of humanity and the pain um, that we're all suffering from because of sin and its consequences that we brought upon ourselves because of our selfish desires and the way we want life to go our, our way. And God, you hurt for us. And there's just a lot of, of questions to still be resolved, but we just come this morning just with the really obvious surface level thing is that we've all got some anger issues that we need help with because we know that in our worst moments with that we don't reflect you very well and we're living in an extremely volatile world that needs to see something different than what we see on tv about how we react to injustice and things that just aren't right how do we do that in a way that reflects your heart better than we're currently doing it <laughs> So please just speak to us as we take this time to be silent before you.